0: for Christmas. The pastors dressed like Christmas this morning. Isn't that awesome? Greg, what do you have on back there? Neutral. It works. It works with red and green. I like it. Fantastic. We're ready. How awesome are the Christmas decorations here? Isn't it beautiful? Can we give Wendy a hand and her team? This is, uh, they work so hard every year. And this year was a little extra hard because we realized the trees were backwards the other day. And had to drag the Christmas tree. So Nat looked like the Grinch dragging a Christmas tree across the sanctuary floor this week. But we got it all set and we are ready for Christmas. And I don't know about you, but I love the Christmas season. And one of the things I love about Christmas is that it's a season of hope. Right? There's just hope uh, of of what's coming, of what's ahead. Right? And uh, so much to look forward to. And I know certainly as a kid, uh, there were many things that I hoped for right? Oftentimes, most of the times, uh, it was presents, right? I was hoping for some specific gifts that I was going to be receiving at Christmas, right? And uh, one year in particular stands out to me. It was uh, the early 1990s. I'm not sure exactly what year, Uh, but my brother and I were hoping, uh, begging for a Super Nintendo, the newest gaming system out at that point right the super nintendo and we could not wait to get a super nintendo we had asked for that for christmas and and i remember the night really vividly that we drove from our home in greeley to the fort collins mall you know we had to go big time fort collins mall right and and we went christmas shopping And at some point during the night, my dad kind of took my brother and I away to do something else so that my mom could purchase our gifts in secret. And so we were just hoping that one of those gifts would be the Super Nintendo. And and that night, I remember climbing into our minivan to start heading back home. It was time to go home. And, And I don't think I was trying to peek. I really don't. Maybe I was a little bit. But I remember as I climbed into our minivan, I saw a reflection in the back window, some of the presents, some of the bags that were in our minivan trunk, and I saw a faint image of Donkey Kong. Now, if you don't know who Donkey Kong is, he's a video game character, and he was, the Donkey Kong game was actually the game you got with purchasing a Super Nintendo. And so I looked at my brother, and I I think I whispered, like, we're kidding. We got it, right? It's happening. And sure enough, Christmas morning came and we opened up our Super Nintendo. Our hope had arrived. Our hope was fulfilled. I still have that Super Nintendo, by the way. Jason and I, we play some Nintendo every once in a while. I play with my girls now. I get to play Donkey Kong with my girls. It's awesome. But, but that's what Christmas was about as a kid, right, is hoping for something. I think still today we hope for things, especially this time of the year, there's so much that we can put our hope in, presence, time off, seeing our family and friends. Or maybe for you Christmas is a time of difficulty, of hardship, of stress. Maybe your hope is in January 2nd, getting past it. We can put in our put our hope in a lot of things this time of year. But we all tend to place our hope somewhere, and here's the thing about hope. What we hope for, shows what our faith is in. What we hope for shows what our faith is in. And the true test of that faith is when what we are hoping for doesn't happen, or it's changed, or it doesn't look the way that we expected it to. I can't imagine what my brother and I would have done had we not gotten that Super Nintendo that Christmas, right? It would have been, it would have been ugly because we were hoping so much for it. Today we begin, as Nate said, our Advent series, and we're titling it Sent. What does it mean to be sent? How does Jesus prepare his disciples and ultimately prepare us to send us into the world with hope for the world? But ultimately, it's also about how Jesus was sent to us, that our hope is that he has come to us. And our desire in the coming weeks is to look at some of those words that Jesus gives us, to prepare us to remind us that he is with us as He sends us out, we're primarily going to be looking at John chapter 15, which is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible but we're going to be looking at some other scriptures as well, but today we're going to start with John 15 and, and in John 15 we find that, that Jesus and his disciples are eating a Passover meal in an upper room in Jerusalem. This is the night That Jesus will be betrayed the night before he goes to the cross. And Jesus' disciples have been walking with him, right? They've been spending time with Jesus. They've been seeing him working. They've been hearing his message, hearing his teaching. And along the way, Jesus has begun preparing his disciples for what's about to happen. He has to leave them, he has to go to the cross, he has to die. But his disciples, understandably, are struggling to wrap their minds around this reality. In Matthew chapter 16, we even see Peter rebuke Jesus for sharing what's about to happen. You see, the disciples have placed their hope in Jesus, which is a good thing. But their hope at this point is that Jesus stays with them, that Jesus continues his work and his teaching, that Jesus makes things right for them in their lives and in their world. But that's not exactly the way it's going to happen. Jesus, by the will of the Father, has a different path to walk, and so do his disciples. So here in John 15, in the upper room, Jesus gives his disciples a final message. A message that will prepare them to be sent. And this is a message for us as well. As disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, these are words for us as well to be encouraged, to be reminded of the hope that we have in him. And we're going to see that hope promised in multiple ways in the coming weeks. But today, here's our main idea. You see it on your note sheets. Hope arrives in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to see today in John 15. Hope arrives in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to do this a little bit different this year, all right? We're going to change things up a little bit for Advent. We're going to be teaching through John 15, but in reverse, all right? So we're going to actually be teaching the end of John 15 today, and then we're going to kind of walk backwards through it in the coming weeks, and we'll have a few other passages we'll look at as well. But today, I want to read John 15 to you the full chapters, so we can hear the words of Jesus. We can understand the context of what we're seeing today. We can get this picture of Jesus' final message to his disciples before his death. And then we're going to focus on the last handful of verses today. So if you have your Bible, open up to John 15. We'll have it up on the screen as well. Take a deep breath, and let's hear the words of Jesus to his disciples and to us. My joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Here's a section we'll focus on this morning, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. All right. John 15. These words. So much hope. So much encouragement that Jesus gives to his disciples and to us in this chapter. But towards the end of the chapter, starting in verse 18, Jesus gives his disciples a little bit of a reality check. He gives them this reality that they are going to be sent to a world that is against them. That's the first point today. We are sent to a world that is against us. Jesus says in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you the hatred that you will feel as my disciples is because of me jesus says and and who what is the world that jesus talks about in verse 18 i think it's easy to think about the, the big world just being everybody being against god and the things of god and that's true but think about the people who most hated and rejected and persecuted jesus it was his own It was the Jewish people. It was the religious leaders. It was the people in his own hometown that rejected him. I think Jesus is reminding his disciples and us that oftentimes opposition will come not just from those who are obviously against God and his word, but oftentimes from the places and people we would expect the least. Maybe you've experienced rejection or even hatred because of your faith from your family, from your friends or even from inside the church. Jesus says that this hatred is really aimed at him, not at us. And why is that? Verse 19, Jesus says that we have been chosen out of the world. Jesus has chosen his disciples, a group of people, to be different from the world, to look different, to live differently. And I wonder if that's true for us. Do we live and look different from the rest of the world? Does the way we carry ourselves look different than the rest of the world? Does the way we work in our jobs or at school look different from the rest of the world? Does the way we handle conflict and criticism look different? Does the way we post on social media look different than the rest of the world? It should. We've been chosen out of the world, Jesus says. And Jesus promises that because of that, we will face rejection. He tells his disciples they will face persecution. And I think persecution for us might be a little bit harder to relate to in our culture. I don't know that many of us, maybe you have, but many of us probably haven't experienced genuine persecution. But we have faced rejection, right? A lot of times it's rejection from the people that that know that we follow Jesus and reject us for that. But there is genuine persecution that's happening in our world today. I looked up, open doors, says last year, 5,898 Christians were martyred for their faith around the world. Another 4,765 were detained without trial or were arrested or imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus. Thousands of people every year are still being persecuted for their faith. This is the reality that Jesus sends his disciples into, and we will face it in some form as well. Rejection, hatred, because of Jesus. We can't follow a crucified Savior and not expect a cross. Not expect suffering, not expect difficulty. But here's our hope. Here's our hope. That when we are rejected by the world, when we are hated by the world for Jesus, it means we are following Jesus. Now, I think the catch here is got to make sure that we're being hated, we're being rejected because of Jesus, right? Not because of us. Not because we're just being jerks, right? Not because of our strong opinions about everything, but because we are sharing the hope and the love and the gospel of Jesus. If we are hated and rejected for that, it's proof that we're following Jesus, That we're his witnesses, we're his disciples. They will hate us because they hated him first. Jesus continues with this warning for his disciples and for us in verse 21. Let's reread it. Here's what Jesus says. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Why does the world hate us? Why does the world hate Jesus? Because they do not know the father. They don't know God. They're far away from God. Jesus, in verse 25 here, quotes from two psalms, Psalm 35 and 69, this prophetic fulfillment of people rejecting Jesus without a cause, hating him without a cause. Why? Because Jesus brought a difficult message. We are sent with a difficult message as followers of Jesus. Jesus' ministry and message was to come with the gospel To expose the sin of mankind and then to provide a way for us to be made right before God again through the cross. But this bad news of the gospel, the first part of that message is tough for us to swallow, tough for us to share with others. The bad news of the gospel is this, that we are all sinners who have fallen woefully short of the holiness of God. We are separated because of our sin, our choices, and there is nothing we can do to fix that on our own. That's pretty heavy news for us and for those around us. Just as Jesus did as as witnesses of Christ, we need to be honest about sin. We need to be honest about sin. I love what Matt Carter says about this. He says, there's a danger of redefining sin in order to make the good news easier to hear. But love compels us to be honest. Whatever God calls sin, we call sin. We have no authority to call clean what God calls unclean. The Holy Spirit helps us share this truth, difficult truth about sin and judgment, but with a humble kindness that is compelling to others. We need to ask God to give us honest words wrapped in warm hospitality. That's tough. We have a difficult message. And that's what the world rejects Jesus for. He exposes their sin and their rebellion against God. They hate Jesus for that. I was thinking about this as we share With those around us, the gospel, as we live it out in our context as well, just how important it is for us to be honest about our sin first. We can be honest about the world's sin, right? We can see all the sin that's going on out there, right? We can see the sin in other people really easily. Sometimes it's harder to see the sin in ourselves, to be honest about it. We need to take sin seriously. I just I feel compelled to say that if you have if you're struggling with sin right now that this is a place you can come and be honest share we're called to confess our sins to one another and to God and he says that he promises to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness our sins have been paid for by Jesus on the cross I'd love to talk to you if you're struggling with something I struggle too Let's be honest about our sin. And then here's the thing, is that that message to the world around us is so much more powerful when we're honest about our sin first. I love analogies, okay? Anyone that works with me knows I love analogies. And so I I came up with an analogy here. We'll see if it works, okay? You can tell me after service. But go with me for a second, okay? I want you to imagine... For just a moment that you have a serious illness. Maybe some of you do, and I'm sorry if you do. You don't have to imagine. But if you have this serious illness, a a death-causing illness, it's deadly, and someone comes up to you on the street and says, hey, I've got medicine for you. You need to take this medicine. It's going to heal you. It's going to heal your sickness. And you say, oh, that's great. Have you taken it? Does it work? And they say, oh, well, I've never been sick, right? But it's good medicine. You should try it. Like, trust me. Are you taking the medicine? Probably not, right? You've got a lot of doubts, at least. But now I want you to picture that someone comes up to you and says, hey, I had the same illness that you have, the same one. I was on my deathbed, and I took this medicine, and it healed me. It cured me. You need to take this medicine too. Now you're listening, right? Now you're paying attention. Now you're interested in this medicine. And I think that's so important as we share the gospel with those around us that we're honest about our sin first. What we've been saved from first. What we still struggle with. Our identity is in Christ. We still wrestle with our flesh. I think sometimes the world can get the impression that we've got it all figured out together here. We're all good. It's harder to buy a gospel message from people that seem like they have it all together. But if we're honest about our struggles, it's a much more powerful message and a message that people will be ready and willing to receive. This is the good news of the gospel church, that by grace, through faith in Jesus, our sin is forgiven. We are redeemed and made new in Christ. And so here's our hope in this. It's that the gospel both convicts and sets free. That's what Jesus is here for. He is here with a difficult message to convict the world of sin, but also to set the world free for those who would trust in him. Romans 6.23 says it this way, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is difficult but good news to share. The best news that Jesus sends his disciples and sends us with. So how do we do it? How do we share it? Well, Jesus gives us some great hope in verses 26 and 27. Let's read it again. He says this, But when the Helper comes, Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus promises to send us with his presence. The Holy Spirit, Jesus calls the Spirit the Helper. He's already shared a little bit with the disciples about the Holy Spirit in John 14. He'll say more in the next chapter in John 16. But but what does the Holy Spirit help us with? The Holy Spirit helps us obey. The Holy Spirit helps us become the people God has made us to be. The Holy Spirit helps us experience life and peace. The Holy Spirit helps us use the gifts that God has given us for the building up of the church. In verse 26, Jesus calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. And he says this Spirit will bear witness about him, about Jesus. The Spirit actually shares who Jesus is in and through our lives, in and through our words. Simply put, Jesus is promising us his continued presence by the Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples, yes, I have to leave. I have to go away. Physically, I am leaving you, but my presence will remain with you always by my Spirit. And then see what Jesus says in verse 27. He says, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Because we have the Spirit in us, and because we have been with Jesus, we are qualified to be his witnesses, to share this message with others. And this is our hope this morning here, that Jesus' presence is what qualifies us as his witnesses. Jesus' presence is what qualifies us as his witnesses, I love that idea that that the disciples are qualified because they've been with Jesus. That's what enables them, along with the the presence of the Holy Spirit, to be sent out with this message to continue the work in the ministry of Jesus. And it makes me think of Acts 4.13. I love what we see in Acts 4.13. Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, before these religious leaders and being questioned in Acts chapter 4. And And they speak with such boldness that it says that these leaders recognize that they had been with Jesus. They could tell they had been with Jesus. I want that to be true for me as well. Don't you want to be a person that when people are around, they can just tell that you've been with Jesus? But we can think about people in our lives. I can think about some of you that, that just always... Share the presence and the love of Jesus every time I'm with you. That's the kind of people that we're called to be. Being with Jesus makes us ready to be his witnesses. And so I think the question is, are you spending time with Jesus? Are you with him? Are you allowing him to teach you through his word, by his spirit, to shape you into who he wants you to be? If you don't spend time with Jesus... You're not going to be prepared to be his witness. That's what qualifies the disciples and qualifies us to take this message to others. And I want to fast forward for a bit now. We know that after the events of John 15, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. He's taken before Pilate. He's questioned. He's beaten. He's mocked. He's spat upon, and ultimately he's crucified on the cross where he dies. He's buried, but three days later, he rises again. He conquers over sin and the grave, and then we see that he spends about 40 days or so with his disciples again after his resurrection, teaching them, reminding them, encouraging them before he sends them out. And here's what we see in Acts chapter 1. As Jesus and his disciples are gathered together, Acts chapter 1, if you don't have it with you, we'll have it up on the screen. Acts chapter 1, 6 through 11. Look what happens here. So when they had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here we see the disciples. Jesus has fulfilled his work on earth. He has Gone to the cross, he has risen again, and they're with him again. And now, finally, they're hoping. Jesus is going to make it all right now, right? He's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. He's going to do all these things that the disciples have been hoping and waiting for him to do, right? Surely, now is the time. But Jesus, the Father, they have a different plan. It's going to unfold a different way. You see, the plan is, is that Jesus is going to send out his people. He's going to send the church. They're going to be the witnesses, the ones that continue on the ministry that Jesus has begun. And We will see how Jesus sends this power that he promises the disciples here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. As the Holy Spirit is sent and fills and dwells the disciples, empowers them. And we see the gospel go out. The disciples proclaim and preach the gospel. And thousands are saved and are baptized. And the church is born. Hope has arrived through the church. And where does Jesus send his disciples? Verse 8 we see Jesus says, says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I think that's so significant because Jesus is telling his disciples, you're going you're to be my witnesses right here where you are, right in this city. But then you're going to go beyond that into the surrounding region of Judea into places that rejected Jesus for the most part and his message. I'm sending you back there to these other towns and these other people. Oh, and also to Samaria, which was no man's land. We, we don't want to even go to Samaria. We don't like those people. Jesus says, I'm sending you to Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. What's really cool is in the book of Acts, we see that progression play out. The disciples reach and, and see people saved in Jerusalem and in Judea and into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But we believe that this is a call, a mission that we still have and carry out today. That we are called, yes, to the city of Loveland, to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our friends. But we're called beyond that as well. And I, I was just thinking about some of the places that we've been able to send people or support missions work as a church. And I, I, I've seen how God has called us not just to Loveland, but to Northern Colorado, and to Denver, and to Arizona, and to Texas, and to Canada, and to Honduras, and to Albania, and to Ukraine, and to Eswatini, Africa, and to the ends of the earth. We get to be a part of the same mission that Jesus calls his disciples to. Seeing the gospel advance to the ends of the earth. Next week, we're going to have a guest preacher with us, David Morgan, from our church in Windsor, our network church in Windsor. And he has a powerful message about what it means to be sent to the ends of the earth. We're going to be talking about global missions and what he and his family have been called to. It's pretty amazing stuff. Come next week and hear from David. I think you'll be encouraged and challenged. Ultimately, what power does the Holy Spirit give us? It's the power of salvation. First in us, in drawing us to the Father, allowing us to believe and respond to the message of the gospel, but then salvation for those around us, for the world, it's the power that we're sent in. And that's our hope this morning, that Jesus' power changes our lives and the world. We have a life-changing power given to us through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We see at the end of this passage in Acts 1, Jesus makes this Promise to his disciples through a couple of men in white robes, probably angels, who come up to them and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? You just picture the disciples just like, What? Right? They're just staring, like, What happened? What's next? And these men, these angels tell them, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will return. The Daniel series I think has been really good reminding us of all the things we do know but also some of the things we don't know and the wrestling with that. I think that's what Jesus' disciples are probably feeling here in Acts 1 or even in John 15. Like how is this going to go? And how are we supposed to do this without you here with us, Jesus? I wonder where your hope is this Christmas? Is it in your circumstances? Is it in a person or an event, something that you're looking forward to? Is it in a gift you're going to receive, hopefully? Super Nintendos are cool again, I'm telling you. What we hope for shows what our faith is in how often I'm tempted to hope in my circumstances or my control or in things just turning out a certain way. I think one silver lining of the last couple of years for me personally has been a lot of my illusions of control have been just totally blown up, right? The world has been even more unpredictable, more crazy, more scary in the last couple of years than it's been in my lifetime before. Life feels uncertain. There's so much change and transition. The things that I used to be able to put my hope in, I just can't anymore. I think that's a good thing. I think God is reminding me that He's the one who's sovereign, in control of all things in my life and in the world. The world is uncertain and, and it's sometimes even scary. I think that's a bit of what the disciples are feeling in this moment. But in John 15, Jesus prepares them and prepares us to be sent into this uncertain world with hope. Because Jesus promises to send this incredible gift, his very presence and power through the Holy Spirit. And this promise is ours as well, church. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, if your faith is in him, then you have the Holy Spirit, the very presence of power, presence and power of God is in you, working through you. And here's what that means. It means you have right now everything you need for what God is calling you to. You have everything you need. Now, that doesn't mean that it'll be easy. It doesn't mean that we don't need each other. We're also sent together. We're going to see that in John 15 in a couple of weeks. But it means we have the presence and power of the one who sends us. And that's our hope. Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, nor does he tell us, that everything's going to go the way we want it to, that it's going to be easy, that it's going to go smooth. But he does promise us this, he will be with us. Here's how Paul says it in Romans chapter 5. As we close this morning, hear these words in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, sent to us. Jesus' words in John 15 are such good news for us. We're going to be reminded as we continue to walk through this chapter that we can abide, we can live in, remain in, operate out of the love of Jesus in every day of our lives, and everything we do. We are not sent out alone, but with the hope of God's love. But we need to be daily reminded of this. We need to be reminded, I know I do, It's so easy to forget and to operate in our flesh, to find hope, to put our hope in other things. And so I want to challenge you this Advent season. We don't have a formal Advent guide put together. I know some uh, regroups might be doing some things, which is awesome. But what I'm going to do this Advent, and you guys can hold me to it, you can hold me accountable and ask me, is I'm going to try to read through John 15 every day. Maybe sometimes the whole thing, maybe sometimes just a few verses. But I want to just read and meditate on and soak in the words of Jesus in John 15. And so on the back on your way out, we printed off a little card with the first 12 verses of John 15. Maybe just as a reminder, you can take it with you in your car or at work. I want to encourage you to spend time with Jesus. Be reminded of his presence and his power in your life. And then he sends you to bring his hope to the world around you. Let's put our hope in Jesus this Advent season. Amen. Worship team, you guys can come on up. We're going to take communion now as a church to be reminded again of that hope that we have. That God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his only son to die for us on the cross, to rise again so that we could be forgiven of our sins. I love what John 15, 13 says. It says. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. That's how great God loves you. That Jesus would die for us so we could have forgiveness in life and hope. So when you're ready, as the, the team plays here in just a moment,